0: As the church, again, was getting some different opinions. And people were having their babies of, of ministry and places. And they said, we need something that unifies us. That this is what we believe. So they, they wrote that Apostle's Creed. They spoke it in church services like we just did. I mean, that's a tradition that doesn't just go back to the 1950s or 40s. That goes back thousands of years since the first church. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. We believe that. That's what makes us his church. So he's saying, hey, I want my church, my global church, from Israel and Palestine going into Europe, to America, now to Africa, Asia, South America, all over there. I want them to be one, God. I want them to be one. And yes, throughout the years, we haven't been one. We haven't. And we haven't shown the world, as Jesus said, we haven't shown the world that God sent him Because we weren't one. There's been divisions and denominations have started. And, you know, we're, we're, we're broken, flawed vessels. We're not perfect. And so division happens and, again, denominations crop up. And whether you've been a Baptist or a Methodist or a Presbyterian, and, you know, we still all believe in Christ, but sometimes I wish that more denominations, more, you know, more... I'm not going to use the word factions, but these divisions that have sprung up, wish they would partner more, wish they would work more, wish we would be more one as Jesus' church. But so often we fix in on, on, you know, this little avenue, this little way, and we call it a denomination or we call it, you know, our baby, and, you know, and we don't see the bigger picture. We don't see the larger picture that we're one in Christ. That's what he wants. He wants us to be one church, totally, completely. Now, he also wants churches, individual churches, to be one, as in God gives the pastor and the leadership a mission and a vision to share his gospel, to do it in different ways. And it may not look the same in every church. So let me give you an example. This, this week, I had the, the blessing and the honor of meeting this, uh, this young Chinese girl, okay, who was studying here in the U.S. Her name was Spring, like the season, Spring, and we were in this small group, I was at a conference, we were in this small group, and we were sharing about, you know, where God was leading us, what we were going to do. And, and Spring said, well, you know, I'm from China. And her English wasn't great, she said, I'm from China. And, you know, I feel called, my church feels called to, to spread the gospel of Jesus all over China. She said, you know, you guys hear about all these Christians in China, these millions of Christians, but there are two billion people in China. And there are millions and millions of people in these rural villages that have never heard the gospel, have never heard the Bible proclaimed, have never heard Jesus preached. And she said, we want to Christianize China through house churches. And she said her church started in a house, very much like, like Bellwether did, meeting in a house. But she said, we were committed to a mission of multiplying house churches, only going through house church. So one house church, she said, all of a sudden became three house churches. And then those three house churches all of a sudden became 10 house churches, and they've grown and grown in house churches, spreading the gospel all over China. And then I had to follow her and say, you know, what I was doing, which was, you know, kind of put me on the spot because, I mean, that's a great vision. This, this simple, uh, just Chinese girl, she said, we want to spread the gospel of Christ all through China, through house churches. That was their mission, and their church was with it, and they were, they were moving forward in it. So Jesus wants his churches, his individual churches, to be one, to be together, to be united. When those churches are united, then it's more powerful and more purposeful. And they can move united. And they can, whether it's multiplying through house churches or just spreading the gospel, whatever that mission is, if, if people are one, if the church is one, then they can accomplish it. So Jesus wants his global church to be one. He wants individual churches to be one. He wants us This church, Bellwether, to be one. He wants us to be one, united in in mission, in purpose. And if you have your opinions or if you have your babies, that's okay. But that we're moving forward together as one church, his church. So we're going to talk today about what our purpose is, what our mission is, what our, our being one is about. And it starts with Jesus. It starts with proclaiming Jesus as Savior. Someone said to me this week, he said, do you preach like a dying man to dying men and women? And man, that, like, that hit me like a ton of bricks. Do you preach as a dying man? Because the way the world is, I mean, I could, I mean I, I mean, I hope I don't, but I could literally die today. Or I could die tomorrow. I mean, I don't know what God has for me. Do I preach like this is the last sermon I would ever preach in my life? And do I preach to people who are dying? I mean, we're all dying. I mean, when we're born, we start the process of death. You, men and women, young and old, you're dying right now. You're on the road to death. And do I preach to you like you are dying with the importance of knowing Christ, of proclaiming Christ? If you died today yeah, we, we hear that slogan say, "If you die today, would you know if you went to heaven? Well, listen, if you died today, would you know that you would spend eternity in heaven? Or if you died tomorrow, do I preach? Do I preach? As a dying man, do I preach to dying men and women? Something else I heard, a, a, a statement, a slogan, I actually posted on Facebook, it was so powerful, that if that if, people, if people knew Christianity wasn't just some dull, urbane, religious, gotta-go-to-church affair, but the greatest adventure of your life, and it is, man, it is the greatest adventure of, of our lives, if we knew that and if we lived that out, we would have the greatest movement of God since Pentecost, since Acts. If we knew that and if we lived that, and I would question you, do you know that? Or do you look at Christianity? Do you look at your faith? Like a dull or vain, hey, i got to go to church. Maybe it'll make my life better. Sing some songs, listen to a message. Maybe the message will be good. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Do you look at it like that? Or do you like, I and mean, this is the greatest adventure of my life. Greatest adventure of our lives. Preach with that passion about Jesus. That's what I want us to do. Above all of our church, preach through words, through actions, through lives. Not just me, you too. I want us to show the world that it is the greatest adventure and that we can claim it and live it out and be changed. And not be dull or not be, you know, whether it's a club or, a you know, just got to go to church. It's Christ. Christ in us, through us shaping us, forming us, and then we'll have eternity with him in heaven. That's what I want for this church. That's what I want us to be one about. One Savior, Jesus. Now we live that out as churches in different ways. I mean, we live proclaiming Christ out in different ways. Honestly, there are different calls on different churches. Some churches may be called to do in a house church, like that that young Chinese girl, and just multiplying house churches. Some churches may call, hey, we're going to plant right in the middle of poverty, whether it is, you know, downtown Jackson or whether it is somewhere overseas and we're just gonna gonna live like Jesus here I mean Mother Teresa she felt called to the crippled to the lame to the broken she spent her life ministering to them that was her call she was proclaiming Christ there so churches and people have different calls and different passions that God puts on their heart what is it for us what is it for us we have a vision statement okay a vision and that vision is like where we are going for example if I have a vision and I want to go to Denver, my vision is Denver. I'm trying to get to Denver. So what I want our vision statement to be is this is where we're going. And it may, sp- it may take our entire lives to get there, or it may take one day to get there, okay? This is our vision statement. I've tweaked it recently. I mean, I've spent a lot of time in thought and in prayer about this. Our vision statement for Bellwether is helping one person see one Savior. I want to make it as simple and as clear as possible. I want it to be a mantra of what we're trying to do. And that's, that's what I would ask you guys. Do you help one person see one Savior? See, churches around here, I mean, we can be all about the hundreds or the thousands and talking about, man, so many people were in church today and, you know, it was great. And, man, that is good. But do we help one person? I want to whittle it down from the thousands to the one. Do we just help one person see one Savior? One person, one life, one. I chose the word see uh, very intentionally. And I was thinking about this. I was like, okay, one person and one Savior. But, you know, is it no? Help one person know one Savior? Help one person find one Savior? You know, lost, found. But see, I mean, I, I love seeing. I mean, we're a visual culture. And when you see something... When you see something, it's made known to you. A picture speaks a thousand words. When you see it. When Jesus was living, Philip was uh, one of his disciples and he was of Greek descent. He brought these Greeks to Jesus who said, we want to see Jesus. That's what it said in scripture. We want to see Jesus. And so another question I had for you. Do people see Jesus in you? Do people see Jesus in you? In our church? Do people see Jesus when they sit in your B groups or your small groups? Do people see Jesus when you welcome folks out here? Do people see Jesus in us? I just think that's a great vision to live out. One person, helping one person see one Savior. Helping one person see one Savior. And one Savior is clear. We talked about it last week. Many things we think can save us. We think a good social life can save us. Or we think good looks can save us. Or we think, you know, having enough money can save us. Or we think the cookie-cutter Christian life, as in like you go to church and you have this family and all this, can save us. None of that really saves us, guys. I talked about it last week. Jesus Christ is the only thing that saves us. And so do we help people see that? Because folks are blind, man. I mean... I've lived life blind I'll be honest with you sometimes I fall in a trap where I still do live life blind and do we just help people see man nothing else can save you but Jesus Christ nothing else can save you I feel more and more convicted to to preach that I feel more and more convicted in my again as a flawed human being and as a flawed broken church But do everything we can that people would see Jesus here that they would see Jesus here and we could help them do that how? How for you? I mean, literally, how? I mean, you can say, Man, that, that's great to, to say or state or preach, but how do I, you know, do that? Is it just a smile? Is it just a nice word? Is it, you know, is it just a, a comforting word or a prayer? I mean, how? And when you get into how, that is our, our mission, a mission statement. And that is something that's, that God put on my heart literally since day one of this church. And you see it out here on our flags. You see it. At the raised table, the word raise, raising leaders who raise families who raise the kingdom. And that word raise, and listen, I know you've heard me say this. we preach sermons on it. And I see a lot of folks, I mean, they may not even look at that raised table. But listen, guys, that is who we are. That is what we believe. You can see raise over and over again in scriptures. Jesus rose from the dead. Christ raises us up to new life. We have to have something that we believe in that we're going to stake our faith in. First, that Jesus can raise us up to new life. And as a church, we want to try to live that out. We want to try to help you do that, to become a leader for Christ. So again, you've heard me say this over and over again, and I want to spell it out a little differently to you today. Because again, if our vision is where we're going, our mission is how to get there. So if the vision, per se, is like Denver, then the mission could be going through Dallas to get there, or going through Oklahoma City to get there. So how you help one person see one Savior is our mission. Which is raise. Which is raise. So let me, let me kind of spell it out. Let me show it to you in a different way. Because I think raise and I think a mission. And I think getting to that point of helping people see Jesus. It takes steps. I'll be honest. It may not happen overnight. I think it takes steps. Steps of faith. And some people are at different points. And some people are ready to take bigger steps. Okay. So I want to show you three steps here. Three steps of faith to be raised fully and completely to new life. First step is that sometime in life you've been broken, you've been hurt, you've been sick. Maybe it's physically or emotionally or just depression. And you have implored to God. You have just knelt or wept to Jesus to save you, to touch you, to heal you. And he has. So you've been touched by Christ, okay? He's touched you. You're kind of like some people in scripture. If you look at Luke Luke 17, Luke 17, I'm going to read verse 15 through 19, but this, this passage about 10 lepers, okay, who were sick, who were, I mean, physically, they were, they were, they were lepers. And they came to Jesus, and they said, we, we want to be healed by you, we want to be healed by you. And Jesus said, well, go see these priests. And as the lepers went, they were healed. I mean, they were healed just, for whatever reason, Jesus had not to heal them there in person. He said, just walk this way, and they were healed. And see, what happens is that only one person came back to Jesus to glorify God. Ten were healed. Nine did not come back to Jesus. And here what Jesus says, verse 15, this is Luke 17. He says, now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. And we talked last week about how Samaritans were outcasts. In society, Jesus answered and said, "Were then the ten not clean, cleansed? The nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner?" And he said to him, "Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well." And the point I want you to see is: so many of us, Amen, guys, us, okay, I've lived this way. We're touched by Jesus. We're healed by Jesus. We leave, and we don't come back. Maybe this is Sunday school. Maybe this is, you know, I don't know, seventh or eighth grade confirmation as you grew up. Or maybe it's, it's being baptized. You are touched by Jesus. You, you feel his power. You sense his spirit. He speaks to you, and we leave, okay? So, you know, for all intents and purposes, you can say you're saved. I mean, so many people around our area say, man, I'm saved. I know Jesus. And, you know, they might show up in church Christmas or Easter. This is not bad mouthing them. This is saying this is how it is, we're touched by Jesus, we know him, and we leave. And I'm saying these folks, they've taken one step and they need to go further. And some of those folks may be you out there. You may need to go further. You may have been touched by Jesus. You may say, well, yeah, I've had that moment. But you never came back to him. You never came back to glorify God. You left. You were saved. He, he touched you. He saved you. He healed you. Whatever, your, whatever it was. And you didn't come back. Second step. Some of you, some of us, may have come back. we say, man, he, he healed me. He, he cleansed me. He's shaping me. He's growing me. And you may have been willing to take another step to follow him, to give to him, to serve him, yet or but. You won't give him your all. And a lot of us, and I've been there too, and I struggle with this probably more than anything if you want me to be honest serve him, follow him, but don't give him our all. We're like the rich young ruler. It's right in Luke 18. This rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He'd spent his life learning scripture, following God, trying to serve God. He had been given leadership roles. He'd been given wealth. Maybe he he grew wealth. We don't know, but he had money and he had position in society. And so he came to Jesus. Obviously, he had a strong faith, okay? Because he asked Jesus, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to follow you? And Jesus says, do you not know the commandments? And he kind of listed out the Ten Commandments. Love God, love your neighbor, all of these things. And the guy said, this rich young ruler said, yes, I've done them since childhood. I've loved people. I've honored my parents. I haven't robbed. haven't murdered. haven't done anything like that. What do I need to do? So Jesus pushes him further. Pick up in Luke 18. Verse 23, 22, excuse me, Jesus heard him say this, and he said, One thing you lack sell all you possess, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Now, I always believe that this passage, you know, if you have money, if you have means, or if you have wealth, you know, Jesus is not necessarily calling you to give it all away, but he might. He might be. I do believe what Jesus is saying is, do you give your first to me? Do you give what I've given to you your first back? I'm reading through the book of Nehemiah right now, my own quiet time, my own devotion time. And there's uh, several chapters in Nehemiah just talk about how they glorify God. And so they give everything that is first to God. They give the first to the crops. They give the first to the best animals. They even give, listen to this, they even give the firstborn children, not as a sacrifice, but they say this child is first. He belongs to God. He's going to serve God, whether it's in the priesthood or whether it's in the ministry. Everything that is first, they give to God and then they try to live with, with what's left over. And so my question here is, if you've taken that step, if God's healed you, and then you said, I want to go further, I want to, I want to serve, I want to follow Jesus, do you give? What's first in your life to him? Do you give what's first of your gifts? Do you give what's first of your resources? Money, time, family. Do you give him what's first? And many of us, and I say us, we don't. We hold off. It makes us uncomfortable. And we say, Jesus, I've followed you. I've done all these things since childhood. We can even say, Jesus, I'm I'm serving. I'm doing ministry. Jesus is always going to push us. He's going to say, give this away and follow me. Because Jesus always wants us to grow. He always wants to see that really these things that we think that are saving us, really these things that we think we need, we don't. We only need Him. We only need Him. So if you can get past that second step, there's a third step. It's everything. It's total surrender. It's say, man, I give my life to Christ. I want to give it all. I've done the rat race. I've lived for status or relationships that have just stabbed me in the back, and maybe hurt by that. I need to forgive people. I've lived for money, or I've lived for position, or I've lived whatever whatever it is. You say, I say, man, I want to give it all to Him. And sometimes, when we're at that place, when we're at that vulnerable place, that's where Jesus wants to bring us, because He says, He says, if you try to save your life, you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you will lose your life for my sake, you will find it. You will find it. So can we take that step? Can we take that, that third step? Can we get there? Because I, I truly believe the real Christianity, the, the Christianity of the Apostles' Creed, the Christianity of the Acts Church, the Christianity that Jesus wants us to get to is that place, is that faith, is that life, is to that loss, is losing ourselves and finding him. I love Paul. We talk about Peter. I also love Paul. And, and it's to get where Paul was. You know, Paul, man, he did everything right. If you looked at his resume, man, I mean, it would be so sharp, so just, you know, the schools and the as citizen of Rome. He was in the right clubs. Paul did everything right. He was even so fervent in his faith that he killed Christians. And he says, man, I was lost. I was the worst sinner that there ever was. But a point he saw Jesus. Rode to Damascus. First he was blind. Then if you remember scripture, scales fell from his eyes. And he saw. He could see. And he began a life where he would never leave Jesus. And he would start following him. And Jesus would start pushing him. And there would be thorns in his flesh. But he would take, keep taking steps over and over again. One last passage I want to share in Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3. Philippians 3 verse 12. Paul says, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal For the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, I was laid hold of by Christ. And for you guys here, let me say this. You have been laid hold of by Christ. Maybe you haven't accepted him as Lord and Savior. Maybe you haven't invited him into your heart. He has laid hold of you. He did it on the cross. He did it on the cross. He did it in rising from the grave. He did that for you. He has laid hold of you. And now what I want us to do is take steps to lay hold of Jesus And Paul says, hey, I'm not there yet. I'm always pressing. I'm always moving. I'm always taking steps, but I'm getting there. I can see it. And Paul says, that's where I want to go. That's where I want us to go as a church, one church, being raised. It takes steps to be raised. Sometimes we just have to come back to Jesus. Sometimes we have to give him our firsts. Ultimately, finally, we're going to have to surrender. If we really want the life, he promises If we really want the life that the Bible speaks about, we surrender everything. We give Him everything. That's where I want us to go as a church. That's what I want our purpose to be. To help people see Him, help people be raised by Him. I said last week, and I'm going to say this again, that I want two types of people at Bellwether. And really, God clarified this 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 past week as I was thinking through the sermon I preached. I want the lost here. I want people who are lost here. As in, they're lost questioning God or questioning their life or struggling with God or searching for a savior. And they may have tried so many other things to save them. And they say, man, I just want to give this Jesus a chance. I want to give it a shot. I want to give his church a shot. Man, I want to welcome them here. I want to say, man, bring all your questions, bring all your doubts, bring all your insecurities, bring you know this small faith that you think you have that God can go grow, bring it here. We want to help you. I want lost people here. And then I want found people here, as in those who are taking steps. You realize, yeah, I turned back from Jesus, but I'm coming back to him. You realize, hey, man, i got to give more to Jesus. i got to give my first to Jesus. And I want to help raise them up to new life, new life, better life, finally to just total surrender. I want to produce Paul's here. I mean, God gives different missions and different visions. Man, I want this church to be about producing Pauls for Jackson for all over the world. I mean, seriously. I'm not here to play church, guys. I want people to be raised from the dead, the dead of their life, to go out and live the fullness of Christ. So I want lost folks here. I want found folks here. And if you are here last week, you, you said who I, I really didn't want here. And I came up for a, a name for that. In those in those who say they're found, but they're really lost. So I made up a word this week. Call them false. Faust. They say they're found, they're really lost. They're fake. Honestly. Starts with an F. They're false. You start saying that. That person's false. Say they're found, they're lost. Because quite honestly, I mean, we're going to love them, but false people do more harm to lost people and found people and we're going to love them, and I'd love for them to come back when they either admit they're lost or start being found. But when they're false, you hurt the church. So this is a church for the lost. This is a church for the found. And today is no better, today is no better day to start. Either admitting we're lost and turning back to Jesus or finding him anew and laying hold of him because he has laid hold of every one of us. He's laid hold of the lost, the found, and the false we just all need to realize it I want you to lay hold of him today and I want to lead us in an exercise and I'm going to ask you to indulge me in this as we close, okay I'm going to ask you to close your eyes my eyes are going to be closed too and I don't, uh, I don't know where each of you are in your life my eyes are closed. I know each of us have challenges. I know each of us have burdens. Some of us may be lost. Some of us may have been lost. We know how that feels. Some of us may be found. But we want to start taking steps. But there are things in our life that are holding us back from taking steps. So I'd like you on your, on your seats, on the side of your seats just to lay out your hands, your left and your right hand. Just keep them open for me for a minute here. And think about your left hand, and I, I want you to pretend like you're putting in your left hand. Well, I take that back. I want you to put in your left hand the burden or the challenge that's holding you back. Now, this burden may be a family member. It may be a parent. Maybe a child. Maybe a spouse. Maybe someone that there's brokenness in a relationship, someone you've divorced. But it's something. It's either a relationship or it's an illness. I mean, maybe it's a physical hurt, maybe it's, maybe it's cancer, maybe it's a cancer of the soul, maybe it's doubt, maybe it's insecurity, I don't know what it is, but there's there are things in our life, and I want you to put that, I want you to put that thing in your left hand, okay? In your right hand, I want you to put Jesus, I want you to put Jesus in your right hand. Jesus is there, he's here with us now, not just his presence is in this place, he is here, and now he's in your right hand of each of us. And I want you to clasp your hands together. And I want you to give Jesus that hurt. I want you to give Jesus that problem. I want you to give Jesus that person. I want you to give Jesus what is holding you back. Hands together. Jesus has laid claim of you and he's laid claim of that hurt. He's laid claim of that thorn. It is his. It is yours no longer. And now again, all eyes closed. I'm not even seeing you. I can't see this. I'd ask that you just give it to him. Raise your hands. Raise those clasped hands to Jesus. Jesus, I give this to you. Jesus, I was lost. I want to be found. Jesus, I'm found. I want to go further. I want to take that steps. I surrender this thing that is holding me back, this person, this hurt, this problem, this burden, this thorn. You have taken it. You have overcome it. You have clasped it. And now reach up and give it to him. Raise your hands. It's his. It's Jesus. It's yours no longer. He can heal you. He can heal you today. He's here. Leave him up there. Give it to Jesus. Leave your hands up as we pray together. Dear Lord, we are a church of hands raised, of burdens raised and given. And I hope people realize, dear Lord, that you are here, that you are in our hand, and you will lay claim to not only of us, but of our problems that we face. So, dear Lord, we give them to you. And every every hand that's raised, every burden that is raised up and given to you, man, just take it from us. Pull it back. Let us walk. Let, the, let us take those steps. And I pray for these people here. Let them just give it to you. And in the giving to you, let them start surrendering all of their life. All of their life. Not a part or a portion or all of it. I thank you, dear Lord, that you have given us this church as a body of believers together. And now we can give you, we can give you whatever it is that's hurting our hearts or harming our hearts or the thorn in our side. And we can be one. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. I invite you now. The worship team is going to come back up here. As always, altars are open. If you want to come up. Forward. If you want to publicly surrender your life to Christ, I invite you. If you want to publicly take a step to him, I invite you. He is always pushing us. He is always prompting us. He is always inviting us to him because he has laid hold of us. And I just want us to lay hold of him together as one church. One church being raised and beginning to help one person. If there's one person in your life that you will help them to see Jesus. Because what he's done for you today You have given him that burden. It is gone. It is gone. Walk out of here free of that. Free. Totally. Because what Christ has done. Again, as the worship team leads us, I invite you to publicly take him into your heart. Take him to your life. Just accept and proclaim him as our one Savior. Amen. Amen.